Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I am excited to bring you guys a guest who I actually have met in real life. And that's always great because I talk to so many people who I don't get to meet in person and in real life. And to tell you a little bit about who this is that we are speaking about today, we have Jen Hildebrand on the podcast. She is a fifth generation Arizona native, wife of 27 years, mother to four, and a grandmother to one sweet little boy. Jen is locally known for fighting for mental health rights for Arizona residents as president of Hope Mental Health Foundation. Jen shares an incredible story of hope and healing by overcoming a difficult journey from past experiences growing up. Therapy saved her life and she now stands with those in need by providing paid therapy services for families. So Jen, thank you so much for making the time to come out on the podcast, share your story and how that influenced the work that you do today at Hope Gives. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I know we've been talking you guys back and forth leading up to this podcast. And we actually met at the third annual gala that you guys had for Hope Gives in October of last year, 2023. And before we get into everything that Hope Gives is about, I know we talked about a little bit in the intro, but I really love to start with everyone's stories for you guys and to let that kind of take the lead. And really, Jen, I want you to open it up to for you specifically, right? You talk about going through something in childhood and how that kind of cascaded and showed up in different ways in your life and really getting into therapy before you got involved with Hope Gives and what all of that is about. So talk to me about what that experience was and how it impacted you in the way in which you were like, I need to take this serious and get help for this. Hey, um, hey, well, I, I love to share. I'm like, I think that there is great strength that comes with the ability to be vulnerable. And I have done a lot of work and really, really, really gone after happiness and joy in my own life. And it, it was a struggle to get there, but there is so much beauty on the other side. And so being able to share my story and relate to anyone who might be struggling or has past trauma and give that little glimmer of hope that there is so much light and so much beauty and it is really a tough road sometimes to get there and a lot of work, but it is so, so worth it. Um, and so I guess my my story starts, I really come from a really big family and Arizona natives, fifth generation. So a long time that we've been around. Um, my parents were married and grew up in North Phoenix and their marriage was always pretty volatile. I mean, I don't have memories of my parents having some loving relationship all I really remember is a lot of fighting but when they when I was in second grade my parents decided to split and so my dad moved a couple miles from us and to be honest my dad's house was a place of kind of safety and peace but we weren't really there a ton we were mostly with my mom and my mom had a good heart and she loved us but I really think that my mom had her own. And I always, Kevin Hines, you've interviewed him. I love how he says brain pain. I think my mom had a lot of things that weren't necessarily right. She really also struggled with low self-esteem and struggled to just find what her place is. And because of those struggles, when her and my dad separated, she chose 
some pretty bad boyfriends, men that then came into our home. And that led through my second to, I don't know, eighth grade years, um, a lot of trauma within my own life. And those things that happened during that time, I had no idea how much would impact me as an adult, but that fight or flight response that I lived in, the sexual abuse, the manipulating, the lying, all of those things. I, I always say one of my biggest demons is fear. It, it lives in me. It is something that I have to constantly work at to not be scared, scared that someone's going to break into my house. Someone is coming after me. Like, because I always say, when you live with stranger danger, stranger danger becomes very real and very tangible. And so it is something that I've really struggled with and that I brought into my adult age. And so when I was 17, um, my mom's husband at that time, they had a domestic violence um, situation between her and her husband. And at that point, I could not live in the home anymore. And my mom repeatedly just kept going back to the same behavior, the same situations. And so I decided to move out, moved in with my grandparents in the East Valley, which is where I am now. Um, met my husband really within about a year of being out here, got married and started a family. And so this life that I had seen in my big extended family, just great marriages and kids. And it was what I wanted. And so I moved to the East Valley and moved in with my grandparents. And I went after that life that I, I wanted to replicate for myself. And I get married and all of a sudden fear takes over because I'm scared he's going to leave. I'm scared. I'm not going to do things right. I'm scared of the possibility of abuse. And, and so I just became this controlling angry. You'll hear me talk a little bit about anger. I had a rage in me that I didn't even know where it came from. And so I was not very easy to be around. I wasn't easy to be married to. I wasn't a good friend. And once I started having children who I loved and wanted to protect and keep safe and build this beautiful life for, I was so busy trying to control with this irrational need to make sure that everything was perfect because I didn't want anything to go wrong, that my life was just unraveling right before my eyes. And so wow. I was a screamer. I screamed at my kids, mostly for fear that something would go wrong, um, that they would get hurt, that they would go missing, that any of those things that were really a part of my upbringing, I then was trying to mother in this way that I didn't understand. And also in my house growing up, we, there was a lot of screaming, yelling, fighting. My mom threw hairbrushes. Like it just, it was who we were. We were not passive aggressive. I was so aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Yeah. Confrontation <laughs> is something that we just lived every day. And so I then took this confrontational, aggressive, aggressive behavior into my mothering and being a wife and, and being a friend. It's funny when I, you know, I'm not, I'm a pretty tiny person. And <laughs> I had a, I had a friend say to me one time, you are the smallest, meanest person I have ever met. Oh and God. it was because I just, I lived aggressive. If you said something mean to me, I was going to come back 10 times meaner than what you had ever said. It just lived in me. Mm -hmm. And as my life was unraveling, I remember just laying in a ball, crying in my closet day after day, because it just, I could not control it. I could not 
figure out how to keep this life that I envisioned put together. And so as I was doing it, I was essentially just destroying everything. Mm -hmm. And that is what led me to therapy. I knew I had to get help. I knew I had to figure out what was going on and how to then turn my life around and find joy. And it was in therapy, and we can talk about this too. It took me a little bit to find the right person for me. And I think that that's a huge important part to know, but therapy was difficult. I went in knowing that I wanted change and that change took work and I was willing to put that work in, but I was also able to realize like, oh, this is where the anger come from. This is why I live in fight or flight all the time. This is why aggressive is part of who I am. I will tell you one of the biggest revelations was I, and I still have to really be conscious of it. If I think someone's going to hurt me, I will cut it so fast. I can cut emotion. I can cut interaction. I have this world in my, very visual. Um, I should write a book about my whole world of how I compartmentalize yes. my life. But I have this thing called Dead Island and Dead Island is there's a huge wall around it. And if someone hurts me in a way that I feel like I can't recover, I visually hold them out by my hand, take my foot, kick them over the wall and they land on Dead Island. And there is a complete severance of emotion for me. Mm -hmm. And that was how I managed relationships. If you can imagine, that's probably not the most effective because I was literally kicking my neighbor's over dead Island and refusing to speak to anyone. I wouldn't talk because I just, I could not take any hurt. Mm -hmm. And so years, two years of therapy later, I found my way through that. And my older kids actually tease my younger kids and say that they got a whole different mom because I don't yell anymore. I'm pretty (laughs) calm. If I lose my temper, I choose to lose my temper. I know what my triggers are. And my heart is kind and it is loving and it's, it's good to feel compassion and not spend every day just trying to destroy everything before it destroys me. Wow. And that's what therapy gave me. It, it really, I mean, I say therapy saved my life. It really did save my life. This life that I had envisioned that I wanted, I would not be here. I would not probably even have a relationship with my kids because I was such, I just, it was a tornado. And I just was out to destroy everything in my path. But when you said stranger danger and how that carried into your adult life and then not realizing before you were like, I had all this anger and I grew up around this kind of environment. But then later you said, now I know what my triggers are. Two years later in therapy, I see where these things come from. I see where the anger stems from. I see where these emotions come from. But I feel like I relate a lot to that, especially when you said, the dead island thing. And that's really how I would live as well with the flight or flight thing, kind of calling that any talk about wanting a family, wanting to have this life and then saying, okay, I, I have this marriage. I have my four kids, but this is still haunting me and following me around. And you talk about your relationships. I think it's really interesting because I feel like when I think back to my childhood and some of the things that I, I feel like I resonate with, with what you were saying is you talk about the brain pain and you talk about your mom having a really good heart and, and wanting to do the best, but sometimes that gets in the way. The brain pain overpowers us that we can't really see the ways in which we're neglecting, not showing up. And it's not always intentional on that, that person's part, but it's, it's happening. It's happening yeah. and it's causing this cascading effect that the other person's impacted by. So I'd love to hear about your transition into therapy. So was there a specific moment? 
So it had been a really bad year. It had just been a really bad year. And it was a moment. I mean, I have a very distinct moment where my husband and I was sobbing, crying. I mean, everything about me is big and loud. And it was a very dramatic crying. And I just was sobbing. And I remember him saying to me, Jen, you have got to figure out who you are. And he's like, whoever that is, we will be here, but you've got to figure out who you are and figure out what you want. And even the figure out what you want, I can tell you, Paris, like honestly, and there is even still times now where him and I, like my husband and I are both red personalities. We we do so good together, but man, when <laughs> one of us has an opinion and one of us has an opinion that's different, it is, we both kind of stand in it. And you guys got married, married at how old again? To so I, was like I was 19. I turned 20 right after I got married. And he, and you you were 19. He was how old? He was 24. Okay, 19 and 24. So you guys have been together so 27. You said 27 years. 27 years, yeah. And I'm 28. Time. So your marriage is like my life. <laughs> it's so cool. But I just think- a side note, I say find someone that's worth fighting for because mm-hmm. it has been hard. And there is the most glorious, I mean, I really love him. I still really love him. I am not easy. I come with so much trauma that I have been difficult. And now I recognize, you know, when we have those moments where it's both of us coming at each other with opinions, I can look at things and be like, hey, I'm going to blow this out of proportion or like, we just need to stop. A lot of times we'll call truce now because we know (laughs) we are not going to agree. And so we're just like, fine, truce, move on. And we don't talk about it anymore. Like we've had to figure out our ways to work through the different things without bringing all of the baggage that I came with into, into this later life, because it's, it's hard, but therapy (laughs) in that minute where he was like, figure out who you want to be, who you are. I don't really know why I knew I needed to go to therapy, but it seemed like the only answer. And so I Googled or whatever I did back then. I mean, it was forever ago. Um, found a therapist and it took me a couple. And the funny thing was, I mean, I didn't know any better. I went to two men first mm-hmm. and I did not do well. I struggled. Um, in fact, one of them I felt like was kind of inappropriate. And I don't, to be honest with you, know if he was or wasn't, I never would have trusted because I had been so abused by so many different types of men in my life that there was just no way that I was ever going to be able to actually let my guard down and open up in a way that I needed to. And so it took me to, and then I finally saw um, the therapist that was life-changing for me. She had a little bit of an edge. She really called me out on my stuff because I'm, like I said, I'm kind of a harder, I was hard and I, I was aggressive and ready for a fight. And Can we give her a me. shout out? <laughs> she hates it when I do it. She hates yes. it. But it is, so Dr. Kim Buck, she's in Arizona. I mean, anyone that gets a chance to see her, read about her read her book, listen to anything. She is brilliant. She's brilliant. And beyond brilliant, she is such a good person. And she, for me, was exactly who I needed. I needed someone that was going to just say, no, like Jen, that's not how we're going to do it. Or she was going to leave, you know, you're going to go work on this. And I would go work on it. And she would ask me about it. And she really gave me the ability to change my life. And I always say she saved me. And she always tells me that I saved myself. Wow. She was sitting at the table that I was sitting at for the dinner and we were talking. And then at the end, you were like, this was my therapist. And I was like, what? I'm like, I could see it. I could sense it. And the other thing too, once you found therapy, you talk about going through that of 
the the two men that you saw. And that's actually funny you say that because I had that same experience with two different male therapists when I was younger. I'm like, this isn't working, but we talk about finding Kim. So from doing that work there, how did you find hope? Did someone reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did that relationship start? So there? hope definitely found me. Um, I honestly probably should have learned to play pickleball. It's <laughs> taken over my life, but it, <laughs> it's one of those things where I have never felt like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing more than I do right now. Hope found me because this is this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I was given such a gift in my ability to go to therapy and to find that health and healing. And I, I really believe that it is my responsibility to now give that back, to give other people that same chance. I I went through, I mean, a good solid couple years of therapy with um Dr. Buck and after that kind of quieted down, I mean, it had been four or five years and we had, I hadn't seen her in a long time and it had been great, but the same office that she worked at, I had a friend that was a therapist at that office. And I had done some nonprofit work um, for uh, my niece actually died of a brain tumor. And so we had started a family foundation that did work for um, pediatric cancer and so I had done some volunteering and some nonprofit work with Phoenix Children's Hospital, and my friend knew about that. And so when they were putting together a board for Hope, she gave me a call and just said, hey, we're trying to bring in, you know, a public board. Hope had originally been started by a group of therapists because they saw that there was just this huge gap in people's ability to pay for therapy that needed it or people that were already in therapy that lost their jobs or lost insurance. and there was therapists doing so much pro bono that therapists were burning out. And so there just was this huge need. And so they started this foundation, but as therapists did not have any time to really run it. And so it sat quiet. And so when I got this phone call, she said, Hey, group of therapists, they need help. Are you willing to come in and sit on a board? And I was kind of at a transition point at, at that time where I was like, I could need something like I thousand percent believe that everyone should have a chance to go be a part of what I was able to. And so I joined the board. And so I joined the board and it was this very dynamic group of people and like three meetings in all I really knew how to do at that point. There was so many big personalities, so many capable people. I just thought I'll throw a fundraiser. And so we started planning the fundraiser and COVID hit. And so mm -hmm. it just put everything completely at a halt. There was no more fundraiser being thrown. We had some Zoom meetings, um, just trying to kind of keep it alive, but everybody went their separate ways, except for me and one other board member. We were the two remaining after COVID kind of got going. And again, mm -hmm. I thought, listen, I don't know what to do. People don't know about hope. We don't have any funding. So let's just throw a fundraiser. And so we brought in some other volunteers that had been talking about it. We threw our first fundraiser, we raised a little bit of money and we gave it away. And that was just the beginning of what hope is. Hope to me is special because one, it is, I mean, there's me and one other person that are driving the everyday of hope. We have a board of volunteers. All of them have some reason that they are there. They're impacted um, by a loss within their family, family members that are struggling. They all have their own stories and a reason to be there. Um, and we are just continuing to move it forward, but we try to keep 
expenses are low. Like I laugh, we operate out of a closet in a big um, <laughs> industrial, like you can rent those rooms. I'm like, ours is literally <laughs> smaller than my closet. But we just try to keep everything that we can as low as we can because I am determined to give away every penny. And I am someday hoping that every single person that comes up to hope, I am able to turn around and say, hey, yep, we want to help you. You pick mm -hmm. your own therapist, you apply for a sponsorship. Let me pay for those therapy and let's let you and everyone else who is struggling find that ability to find health and healing. As I've like been in the fundraising part of it, there's a lot of people that say like, hey, we want to donate to a foundation that helps people be self-reliant. I hear the word self-reliant so much. And I'm like, what's more self-reliant than therapy? Right. Let people heal from trauma. Let them find the tools that they need to set boundaries, to move forward, to go back to work, to go back to school, to get social again. Like all of those things that we sometimes are so held back by, therapy can open the doors and give us the tools to walk through it all. Mm -hmm. And I think something else from that stands out with what you said is you talk about everyone involved in hope, having a personal experience connected to either related to mental illness, a loss, someone they are passionate about that has struggled. And really, I think that that's the most effective because literally you went to therapy, your life was saved because of therapy. And now you're working at hope gives, which is nonprofit that, that literally works to have people go and apply. And then based on the financial need, they're able to have their therapy. They pick their therapist, they pick who they want. And that's what I think is different is because I feel like who better to put something together and know what will actually be effective than someone who went through it themselves and saw what was effective for them, then right. you and all the group of people who are behind that board and instrumental in putting together the events. And I know you guys have the three big events that you do a year. You do the 5k, you do the golf tournament, you do the charity dinner. And then a lot of it is the fundraising that goes into it. And you guys have awarded over 2,500 hours of therapy for people. And that is huge. And you guys, I think yes. this is huge because literally what Jen says, the access to therapy and the access to mental health care services, I actually saw it. So when I was a patient in the hospital, when I was diagnosed with bipolar, bipolar one court ordered treatment, I went back and I worked at that same hospital and I would have to go into to people's houses, different clinics. And I would hear that all the time. Oh, well, you know, I can't afford therapy or you know, like there's so many gaps in the system that the hospital, the clinics don't have people employed there to show up for people coming through the door. So there's so many things that you run into and it, it overwhelms the people working there. It, it leaves people yep. burnt out. You feel like, am I actually making a difference? I'm trying to, but there's not enough resources. So that's why I love to highlight this organization because you can get involved in so many ways, right? Whether it's how can I help volunteering? How can I help with donating? How can I help with spreading the awareness and getting this out into more people who need therapy and want to apply? And like you said, one day with that hope and that vision of being able to award every single person who comes through and is requesting that. So I think that that's amazing. And one of the other things I want to ask you too. So basically from the, the moment that you started, right, your friend said, I remember that you did the fundraising with this previously, you have this experience. Do you want to do this? And you said, yes. So from that moment that you got involved to today, what is something that you've seen with hope that you really didn't think 
would be possible, or you maybe had a doubt coming into it that you're like, I see this and it's a reality today. If you could share one of those things with me. I think that there's a couple things I, and maybe one is the, the negative side. And I think that the other one is the hopeful side of it. There has been, I mean, we've been working with legislators. We, we really are trying to get a grasp on what is going on. Where is the gap between the ability for people to get this, this access to resources? Um, I had no idea. I mean, I was younger. We owned our own business. So I was able to get into therapy. I had no idea, to be honest with you, how unavailable therapy really is to the mass. It, most therapists, I mean, not all of them, but a good portion of your talk therapy, EMDR, neurofeedback, like all of those different therapies, they don't even accept insurance. So even if you have insurance, they don't take it. And then you've got these cash pay rates, which a lot of people can't afford. And so when I really started getting into it and understanding that, you know, I knew there was a lot of people that couldn't get therapy. I had no idea how many people were really struggling. We have some applicants that you, when we get these sponsorships and I read through their stories, when they're asking for help, some of them are devastating. It's single moms and it's they're, they're applying for them and all of their kids that have experienced this severe, severe trauma or marriages that are trying to keep themselves together, college students. It just, I think you can sometimes, or at least I can, I can get lost in how big this problem feels. I am all over, I mean, LinkedIn, everything I can to try to spread the word of hope, to find the funding, because we are all, we fundraise all of our, all of our money to try to make sure that I'm exhausting every avenue that I can. And I'm like, sometimes as I'm reading through all of these different people that are posting about struggling, I'm like, I can feel overwhelmed and think I am never going to do enough. There is never going to be enough. I'm never going to meet every person that is asking for a sponsorship because there's just too many. Mm -hmm. But then there is this other side of it that has been amazingly beautiful where there is so many people that are out here fighting to try to make this better. I think that in the case of my own mom, sometimes I just feel hopeless that I can't help her, that there is nothing I can do to make her life better. For me, a little bit of why hope has become so important is because I can't, I just, I can't help my mom at this point. So it's very therapeutic for me to try to help others. And as I've sat in meetings with all these therapists and just learning what they do, I can't tell you how much I am just inspired. And I feel like there is a treatment for everything. There is something for everything. There is so much hope out there. There is so much healing and that nobody is a lost cause. Nobody is just destined to struggle in the place that they are today. There is an ability to get through it. And there is these very talented therapists and there's all of these life-changing therapies. And then there's people like me and people like you that are spreading the word. And I really just want people to say, hey, I want to do this. Here's my therapist. Will you help me? And man, I just want to say yes. 
I want to say yes and help all those people because there is so much healing on the other side of these therapies that are really life-changing and out there for everyone. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more, especially with the mission behind Hope Gives. And literally, if you think about it backwards, it gives you hope through being able to access therapy. And what you said that really stood out to me is you said that you get lost in how big the problem feels. And I think that's such a good way to put it because when you really get into this kind of work, you really start to realize how many gaps there are in the system. And, oh, wow, I didn't know, you know, all these therapists, but this one only takes cash or this one doesn't take insurance or all the little specifics with things and all the little things that we didn't even think we would know about. Cause I feel like many people who don't know a lot about therapy or the benefits, there's a lot of people who aren't believers in it. I know when I was younger, when I was growing up, I talk about this with my parents, they put me in therapy, but it was funny because they didn't even believe in it, but they made me go. They're like, you need to go talk to this person. I don't know. And I remember talking to them now today and how their mindsets shifted on those views. And I think exactly what you're saying is more people like you, like me talking about how this has actually helped us and not being afraid to say what you're saying, to not be afraid to literally come on and say, I'm being vulnerable. This is my story. I have this relationship with my mom and I don't feel like I can help her, but it helps me to feel like I'm helping other people, even though I have moments where I feel so overwhelmed, where I'm like, I want to do more. And it just feels like it's never going to be enough, but knowing through continuing to persevere, continuing to put in the work, continuing to show up and find out more ways that you can get involved, more ways about spreading the word. Literally what you're saying is exactly the mission behind why I started this podcast is to show more of the things that actually work because I was so fixated on the problems and how it's so difficult to navigate living life with bipolar disorder and how it's never going to be better. There's so many things that don't work. The medicine doesn't work where people can say, I've tried therapy. It doesn't work. I've had people tell me, oh, therapy isn't for me. It sucks. It's like, it's because it's the person, it's the relationship, the connection. That's really the base of it. And I love how you say there's something for everyone there's a treatment for everything. And that's really why I love to have these conversations to say, what is it that's worked for you? What is the solution you've come across? What is the work that you're doing? And how is that contributing? Because there's so much that someone can tap into and say, oh my gosh, listening to this conversation and this is perfect for someone I know. And that's really what I love doing is trying to connect people, whether it's with resources, organizations, or other people who can benefit from the story. And I think what you do so well with this is really being able to put everyone in, in a room, whether it's at the charity dinner, whether it's at these events and just how you're showing up to really make this possible, because that really is saving lives. It really truly is because you don't know who is sitting there who's daily going through suicidal thoughts every single day, who's had previous attempts, who's literally at the end and they really feel so overpowered by this stuff. And it's so hard to sometimes put into words for people, but when you're able to access resources like that, it really, really does turn it around. So I want to ask something I always love to ask everybody because everyone always has a different answer. And I know this is a a little bit of a unique episode because I usually talk with people who have a bipolar diagnosis or someone in treatment of here's kind of what I found, but you literally are behind this organization that is helping give that hope to people who are living with all kinds of mental illness, whether it's depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, different kinds of addiction. So I would love to ask you if you could just give me what comes to your mind, right? When you think about what it means to live well bipolar, what does that look like? 
So I've heard you ask this question quite a few times and I probably should have prepared, but I'm like, I think that what immediately comes to mind is life is messy, Paris, it's messy and it, it can be really hard. And we all have a story, a story, every single one of us. And those struggles look differently, whether it's living well bipolar, living well with anxiety, living well with OCD, living well with a traumatic experience or upbringing. It is taking that and heaven Hines be here tomorrow, making sure that every single day we are fighting for our happiness, for our own well-being, that we are looking, if something is not working, then let's do something different. Let's research what maybe works for someone else, join groups. I think living well bipolar is fighting for your happiness every single day to make sure that you can find that balance and that joy. Because I will say it over and over, none of us have to sit in misery or sadness or defeat. We don't. There is people that are really fighting for us. We just got to go out there and find them. And I think that that for me is what living well is, is it's just waking up every day committed to finding happiness at the end. I love that. That's such a beautiful way to put it as just continuing to fight and show up for yourself because you have the good days, the bad days, the great days. Someone else I just talked to on a previous episode, she talked about this and just a slower mornings approach she developed for how she starts her days and how she continues to do that. But I think when you say doing those small things that we can for ourselves or just getting it out of our head and figuring out what isn't working, what is it that's not working? talking to those people that we trust, having those conversations that can be scary. And I love that you talk about the research aspect and really how we can embody that despite what our struggle is, right? Whether it's a trauma from childhood, bipolar diagnosis, whatever the the pain is that you feel like is rooted in there, being able to go about it through that approach. I really love that outlook because that's something that I always try to do every single day because you never know how your days can go or what can come about. Thank you too, first of all, for making the time to come out here and share this, but I want you to tell everybody where can they go to connect with you and to get more information and to learn more about the work that Hope is doing. Okay, so if you go to hopefoundationgives.org, um, you right there, it will take you, it, it will tell you all about us. It will um, give you the ability to donate. It will tell you what our events were, are, sorry. And then it will also give you the ability to apply for a sponsorship. It will stay up at the top. Now, there is a little, we used to just have the ability to apply for a sponsorship 24 hours a day, 30, 365 days a year, but the need was getting so great. And there was such a long waiting list because again, we are all fundraising. And so we would give away everything that we could, and then we would wait and people would email. I'm not joking you daily. Like, Hey, am I going to get a sponsorship today? Am I going to get a sponsorship today? And so we've changed the way we do it, where we are opening and we are actually open right now to apply for a cycle. So from January 8th, we opened until the end of the month, you can go in and apply for a sponsorship. Um, and that it will first come first serve. And we just give away as much as we can this month for what is budgeted. And then we'll award and people that didn't make it within that cycle of funding, will just get a letter to say, hey, can you reapply? And we'll open again. I believe we open again March 1st. My goal is to get where we're open three weeks, we close one th week to process and send everybody their information and then we open back up. That's where I want to get to. That 
takes me to, we became, and it's so tricky, a qualifying charitable organization. What that means is that anybody who's going to pay Arizona state taxes, if you pay state taxes, you can give to a QCO. Last year, it was 842 and 421 for single. This year, I believe it's 938 for a couple. But you can take that money that you are paying to state taxes and you can reallocate it to HOPE. So you come, you donate to HOPE, we send you a receipt, and then on your state taxes, you take dollar for dollar credit. I, have a, I am a big dreamer and I have lofty goals, and I am determined to get a chunk of Arizona state money redirected to HOPE because 100% of every dollar that I can bring in from now until the end of 2024 will go right back into sponsorships. I will give every single penny of it away. And so family, friends, I mean, if you know someone that you know is paying state taxes, please tell them to donate to us. And that is literally text QCO to 41444 and I'll bring it up. We also made it so that, because it's hard to write a check for $842 where we did it over 12 months. So it will just every month withdraw. It's like 70 something dollars a month. And then at the end, you will have paid it and you'll get a receipt. And then you're able to put that on your taxes for that, that dollar for dollar credit. So we're trying to make it so that it's something everybody can do, but it is really just taking that Arizona state tax money and giving it to us so that I can then give it away to people who are asking for help. Right. I love the way you talk about making it easy to do that breakdown. And I'm going to have all that information as well in the show notes for you guys to go and check out their website, get connected in any way that you want. And don't hesitate to either send me a message, send Jen a message. I'll have her information in there as well for you. But yeah, I want to thank you guys again for just showing up and tuning into these conversations, doing everything you can for either yourself or someone you love to learn more resources about what it looks like for you or someone that you care about when it comes down to living well with bipolar and how we can navigate that together through these conversations, through the resources. And then the ones that I've been so excited to highlight through Jen's story and what Hope Gives is doing and how that is really making a difference when it comes down to therapy. So I want to thank you for tuning in and making the time to listen to this conversation. I hope that you guys have taken away as much as I have from putting it out for you. And Jen, I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your experience. I feel like I could talk to you for days on end about this and (laughs) have more conversations. You are amazing. And on that note, I want to say bye to everybody and bye to Jen. So bye guys. Bye Jen. Thank you. Thank you.